0: In the interest of time, I'm not going to read the entirety of our New Testament lesson, but we've heard it twice. It's on the front of your bulletin, the key verse out of our New Testament text from Colossians. Uh, The call to worship this morning was based on it as well. How are we to clothe ourselves as the people of God? Uh, We're asking you to wear red next Sunday when you call, but more important than wearing red is wearing these kinds of things. Love and kindness and meekness and patience and... Above all else, love, because it's love that binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> it is quite likely when you entered the sanctuary this morning, you were not aware of the fact that today is the seventh Sunday of Eastertide, or at least on the liturgical calendar it is. But I would wager that nearly everyone who arrived this morning did know that it was Mother's Day. It's a date that's uh, written indelibly upon our hearts as well as on our personal calendars, whether it's on the liturgical calendar or not. And so this morning I would like to primarily speak to mothers among us, but also fathers, all parents, uh, any other kinfolk are welcome to, to listen in. And the question I want to direct to mothers is this, how often... In the course of a week or in the course of a day even, have you found yourself either saying out loud or saying to yourself, what's a mother to do? What am I supposed to do with my child in this given situation? If you've ever thought that, and particularly if you've ever said it aloud, you can be assured of two things at least. One, you're in great company because every mother has asked these questions and continue to ask them. Mothers in every age and culture, mothers of every stage of their child's existence, from birth to adulthood. We always ask that question as moms and dads, what should I be doing? What is expected of me? So you'll be in good company if you ask that question. The second thing you can be fully assured of, is if, if you ask that question out loud at least, it will prompt a host of opinions and a world of well-meaning advice by people around you, especially those who may be no longer actively engaged in mothering themselves or people like me who have never been mothers. We're full of advice for what mothers ought to do and to be, and mothers are full of advice for other mothers. If you don't know what to do with your child, the mother next to you probably is thinking, this is what I would do. So there are all kinds of people there, out there to give us advice and, and guidance. Uh, But the issue is, what do we do with our own children, not someone else's? I heard a story about two mothers who were lifelong friends, and one was complaining to the other, I don't know what I'm going to do about my son. He's nearly 30 years old. Can't get him to go back to school or get a job, but I don't know what to do. And the second mother said, well, if he were my son, I'd kick him out. And the first mother said, well, sure, if he's your son, I'd kick him out too, but he's not. (laughs) He's my son. So there's the rub, you see. As parents, what do we do with our own children? (laughs) Experts are plentiful. They're all around us. You can't go into a doctor's office without seeing a magazine that has some article, What Every Mother Should Know, What Every Parent Should Do, all these kinds of things. So we are surrounded by advice from experts. About the only place you cannot find any expert advice is around the family table. Few experts there. Now, I make no pretensions about being an expert on nurturing or parenting myself. I was for a brief time an expert from 1968 when we married to May 13th, Mother's Day, 1973, when our first child was born. I lost my credentials for being an expert on that occasion 45 years ago. But I still wonder with mothers, what's a mother to do? Parenthetically, let me say that one reason I'm addressing that subject today is not simply because it's Mother's Day, but also because my wife is out of town. She's not here to to hear me say what mothers ought to be doing. And so when I get home, she can't say, what? Where were you 45 years, the past 45 years? So we all make mistakes. But anyway, I'm good at giving advice, not quite as good at taking it, but that's what we preachers sometimes do Uh, at any rate. I'm just going to share with you some of my observations and convictions as a pastor in dealing with a lot of parents and children throughout the course of my ministry. Mothers have a tough time today. If you are a mother, you don't need me to tell you that. You don't even need to go see the movie Tully that starts, uh, I think, that's playing now at the theaters. all about motherhood with Charlize Theron. But mothers today seem so unsure of themselves, so riddled by guilt, uh, um, inordinate sense of responsibility and obligation. What are they to be? What are they to do? For a couple of generations now, at least, mothers have received a lot of bad press and they've constantly been attacked by those on the left and the right of the political spectrum. If mothers are not gainfully employed outside the home, radical feminists may accuse them of selling out, selling their personhood uh, to um, male-imposed stereotypes or culturally-supported injustices out in the world. On the other hand, mothers who are employed outside the home are frequently subject to abuse by those with traditional family values, whatever that means, and who sometimes have a difficult time accepting the liberation or the empowerment of females in Western culture over the past uh, two decades. Have you ever noticed how many moms who work refer to themselves as a working mother? Think about that, a working mother. Almost as, as if to justify both their calling to a career, to a work, and to call it their calling to be a mother. Or perhaps they refer to themselves that way in order to silence their critics on either the left or the right. But how many men do you know that describe themselves as a working father? You won't hear that term. Why? Because our culture places a whole lot more expectations and responsibility for nurturing and parenting on mothers rather than on fathers. Now see that changing. And it needs to change in our culture. It's interesting in counseling with young couples who are preparing for marriage. More and more now they are sharing responsibilities and obligations within the home. Cooking, cleaning, housekeeping, all of this. So everything doesn't fall upon the mom Things are changing, but we are certainly not there yet. And it's going to take more than simply diaper-changing stations and men's public restrooms to accomplish it. Another reality that adds to the complexities of motherhood today is the fact that mothers are often blamed for all manner of childhood insecurities and later life maladjustments by their children who were grown. Nearly every mother I know feels guilty If a child has a problem, makes a mistake, gets into trouble, I don't know if it's genetic or what, but mothers feel that way. They assume responsibility if their child is in trouble. If a child never marries, a mother will feel guilty about that. If they do marry, they feel guilty because perhaps it's not the person she would have liked for him or her to marry. And then they may go through a divorce and then they're marrying a second time perhaps she feels guilty about that. So mothers are quite adept finding all manner of things with respect to child rearing about which they can feel guilt. And not just guilt, shame. John Bradshaw talks about toxic, deadly, psychic shame. There's a difference between guilt and shame. That's probably a subject for another sermon. But guilt says I I made a mistake and shame says I am a mistake. Guilt said I did something wrong but shame says I am something wrong. And so, for many mothers, it gets beyond simply guilt and responsibility, it gets all the way to shame. I don't know why fathers and husbands don't share that same perspective on things, but maybe it's just because many of us as dads or as husbands are clueless, and we just don't see how our example or lack of example has any impact upon our children, but I assure you it does. But... It never ceases to amaze me how men and women respond differently when their children are having problems. Here's a young man, just graduated from college. He's serving as a teller in a bank, and he's accused of embezzlement. The minister wants to let both the mom and the dad know about it, so he invites the mom in to see him. No, he invites the dad in first, and the dad responds by saying, Well, the boy's an idiot. He never has had a lick of sense calls a mother in and she says, oh, what did I do wrong? I must have made a mistake. So she assumes responsibility, the guilt and the shame for whatever poor decision or bad choice a child may have made. So children recognize how their mothers feel and most children, young or old, just know which buttons to push to make their mothers feel Inferior or unappreciated. It's so easy to offend a mom because they're so sensitive. It's harder to affi- uh, offend, I guess, a, a dad. Maybe because most of us are clueless about how we're being offended. Um, not only this, but added to to the problems and the responsibilities and the guilt that, that moms al- always feel is... New psychotherapeutic techniques today that encourage adult children to call forth repressed memories. Certainly my mother or father must have done something wrong or I wouldn't be in the shape that I'm in today. And so moms are blamed not only for what they did or failed to do. They're blamed for what they might have done or could have done or must have done. Otherwise their life of their child would not be so messed up. Mothers have no recourse but to say, well, I guess it's my mother's fault. Okay, and play the same game. I'm a bad mother because of my mother. And not to take responsibility for their own actions and decisions. My intent this morning is not simply to give more unsolicited advice to the mothers among us, but uh, just to make a few observations as a pastor, as a parent, uh, because I'm not so concerned about what, Mothers might expect of themselves or what culture might expect of mothers today. But I'm more concerned with what does God expect of us as mothers and dads, as members of a family? And let me begin by saying and reminding all parents that in all probability, what you sometimes think you most owe your kids is the least likely thing they need. Because so many people today, in a culture like us, ours, In a place like Mount Pleasant or the Charleston area, among people that are middle and upper middle class, we feel like our children will know that they are loved and will not feel deprived if we only give them their heart's desire. So we try to load them up with possessions and things and acquisitions, thinking this will make them feel loved. Seldom is this the case. And often the reverse is true. It seems to me that the more things people have, whether they are young children or older children like some of us, the more things that we have, the more we're tempted to believe that it's these things that will provide us with happiness and contentment in life. Paul says on one occasion, I have learned the secret of being content with what I have. Boy, that's a great lesson that each of us should learn. If we could only learn to appreciate what we have rather than to fixate, on what we don't have, what a more blessed existence we would know. And so far as I know, there's never been a study to see a correlation between the possessions that a child has and their sense of appreciation or gratitude or well-being or their feeling of being loved. And the fact of the matter is most of us who are parents can look back over our own lives and realize that it was those challenges that we had those difficult things we had to encounter that really taught us so much more than the easy things in life and prepared us for a future of maturity and Christian service. One of the dilemmas I've always had in raising my children or or dealing with my grandchildren is how do you distinguish between a desire and a need? Uh, Because they're not the same as we know But sometimes what our children most desire, especially these things, is not what they most need. And the fact of the matter is, if they're going to become mature, they need to learn how to cope with the challenges and the struggles that come along in each and every life. If they're to be mature servants of God as adults... We're tempted to try to spare our children these challenges and struggles. We want to do everything we can to make life easier for them. But sometimes that's the worst decision. It's like seeing a butterfly trying to emerge from a cocoon. And we may be tempted to help slice the cocoon so the butterfly can emerge. And it's true it will emerge easier from the cocoon. But it will not have developed the strength necessary to cope later in life with its struggles, may not ever be able to fly if it doesn't struggle coming out of the cocoon. Back in the 1970s when we were really in the midst of rearing our children, I clipped an article in the newspaper from that eminent theologian, Ann Landers, and I uh, agreed with her at the time, but I thought I'd just share it with you. She was writing on what parents do not owe their children. And she says, it's easier to start with what you do not owe them. You do not owe your children every minute of your day or every ounce of your energy. Nor do you owe them round-the-clock chauffeur service, horseback riding lessons, singing lessons, summer camp, ski outfits, 10-speed bikes, a motorcycle or a car when they turn 16, or a trip to Europe when they graduate. I take the firm position that parents do not owe their children a college education. By all means, send them to college if you can afford it, but don't feel guilty about that if you can't. If they really want to go, they will find a way. Student loans and grants are available on a massive scale, and many scholarships exist for the the bright and eager who cannot afford to pay. After children marry, you do not owe them a down payment on their first home or money for furniture, nor do you have an obligation to babysit with their kids or take over when they go on vacation. If you want to do any of these things, it should be considered an act of generosity, but certainly not an obligation. Parents do not owe their progeny and inheritance no matter how much money they have. And one of the surest ways to produce loafers and freeloaders is to let your children know that their future is assured. So just Ann Lander's advice of what you don't owe your children. But having said that, what is it that we do owe our children, especially as Christian parents? What do our children really need from us? To begin with, they need to know that they are loved unconditionally. Uh, that agape love that's on the front of your bulletin and throughout the New Testament. That sacrificial love. Loving our children as we have been loved by Jesus Christ. Not because we deserve it, but simply because we are. We belong to God. He loves us. Our children belong to us and we love them as well. And we're concerned with their welfare. And children who don't grow up knowing that they are loved unconditionally have a hard time accepting that they're loved by others or that they're even loved by God. Unless your children know that they are loved by you unconditionally, they may not be able to see the love of God that's also unconditional. We need this love to be tough on occasion. We need to allow our children the right and the opportunity to fail and to bear the consequences for their failure. We don't need to save our children when they get into trouble every time. Every teacher here in this room, I'm sure, will tell you that parents intervene and try to spare their own children from poor behavior or poor decisions in the school or in the classroom. We may think we're doing our children a favor by intervening on their part. We're not. We're preparing them from a life where they won't take responsibility for their own actions. But love is the primary thing we offer and should offer to our children. We read in 1 Peter that love covers a multitude of sins. I love that quote. I think one of the things it means is we may fail in a lot of ways as parents. But if we love our children unconditionally, if we express that love, and even more, if we exemplify that love. I talked to our children today about them showing their love, not just speaking their love but we need to show our children our love through the way we spend time and attention with them. That's one of the things we owe our children, time and attention. That's harder and harder in a day like today when there's so many distractions in the home and outside the home, in culture itself. I read a, a study one time that, a few years ago that said husbands and wives ordinarily spend Four minutes in serious conversation with one another in the course of a given day. And parents invest 30 seconds with their children in serious conversation. Now what that means is not that moms and dads are spending too much time dealing with their own relationship. It's meaning both of them are not investing much time and attention into their family concerns. Our families need more of our time and our attention. And we need to provide that. The second thing we need to provide our children is a sense of right and wrong, boundaries if you will, uh, guidelines for what constitutes right and wrong behavior, appropriate and inappropriate behavior. If a child grows up not knowing what the boundaries are, then they're going to be insecure and uncertain, they're going to have a tough time making it in life. I've told each of the previous services that if I have time, I want to tell you the story about the Ravenel Bridge. Uh, But I don't have time to tell it this morning. But just remind me sometime and I'll tell you the story about the Ravenel Bridge. It's something that taught me so much uh, as a parent and as, as a Christian, something of importance. But children need boundaries. They need to know what they are. They need curfew. They need limits. And they may fuss and complain about this, but nothing is more frightening than being a child without knowing what the limits are. For their own life and actions. What's a mother to do? Thirdly. And perhaps as important as the love. Is a mother like a father. Needs to communicate spiritual values to their children. Our children have been entrusted to us as parents. To raise them in the knowledge and fear of the Lord. That's a parent's responsibility. First and foremost. The church is a partner in that. But the church can't overcome what parents are doing. And it's hard to overcome so many lessons that are being given by parents today. Parents who drop their children off at church and think the church is going to be responsible for the religious instruction. Parents who don't take their own life and faith seriously. They may have a Bible on the coffee table for display purposes but they're never seen reading it or studying it. Parents need to own up to their responsibilities for the Christian nurture of their children. The church can help, but it can't substitute. You may think, oh, if my child goes to Sunday school, they'll get all the religious instruction they need. Wrong. If your child attended every Sunday school, every Sunday of the year, from first grade to seventh grade, they would have the equivalent of a fifth grade education in religion. Just think if you studied piano one hour a week, how good would you be? If you're an athlete and you practice once a week, the fact of the matter is, most parents don't have their children in Sunday school every week. We're lucky if we get kids once or twice a month. So you tell me how we can do a good job with Christian education in that kind of environment. And that's why the responsibility has to fall upon moms and dads within their home. And let me say something to dads here. Dads have shirked their responsibility for the Christian Development of their own children. Dads have a key role in this. And it, oh, throughout the course of my ministry. I would tell you. I could probably count on one hand. The number of homes. Where the father. Took an active role in the life and work of the church. And the wife and children didn't. If you get the father. To take seriously his faith. The probability is. That mom and the children. Will come along as well. But so many Fathers are absent. And this is left to moms to be the sole person responsible for the faith and development of their children. So that falls upon us as parents, to be responsible for the Christian development and nurture of our children. It ought to be a normal thing in our homes, our relationship to God. It ought to inform how we live in the home. It ought to inform how we live out in the world. The scriptures are for that purpose. Your yes. children need to see you reading and studying the scripture. You need to do it together. You need to pray together. Too many times this doesn't happen. Even in Christian homes. But parents are the ones who have this primary responsibility. The church will partner with you to the best of our ability. But we cannot play, replace. We can't undo the lesson. That is taught in the home. The father who never takes his own faith seriously is telling his kids by his example that this Christianity business is for kids. It's not a manly thing. You get to be my age so you don't need Jesus. You can take care of yourself. It's hard to undo that lesson. It's hard to undo the lesson that a child should take their Christian faith responsibly when they get into adulthood if their own parents didn't. Because the lesson being taught and hard to overcome is that Christianity is for children, and maybe women, but not for men. I won't get on my high horse here. I'm, I'm going on longer than I wanted to about some of these things, but I just feel a passion about it. What's a mother to do? Given the enormity of the challenges before mothers today, I'd love to see most mothers give themselves a break from what the world expects of them, even what other mothers expect of them. And give primary consideration, really, to what does the Lord expect of you, whether you're a mom or a dad. To love your children unconditionally, to set the boundaries and limits for how they're to behave in life, and to communicate your love of the Lord and your desire to follow in the ways of the Lord to your child. If you do that, you've done all that the Lord expects uh, and all that you should expect of yourself. Now, not all of us here today are mothers, but all of us have had mothers. And if you had a mother who loved you unconditionally, if you had a mother who tried to set the limits, the boundaries for how you should behave, what you should believe in terms of right and wrong, how you should live, and if you had a mother who tried to introduce you to things of eternal dimensions, then you ought to rise up and call her blessed. You may have wanted your mother to do a lot of other things. You may have hoped that she'd had a job or that she'd made a lot of money, Or that she had made it to the social registry. Or that she had a talent. Or that she would be your buddy. But she doesn't have to do all of these things. If she loved you, disciplined you, and guided you in the ways of God, then you ought to rise up and call her blessed. And not just on Mother's Day, but every day of the year. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.